Hello and welcome to the Creative Lotus Podcast. I'm your host, Alan Zaki. Next guest is photo retoucher and finisher, Joseph Alexander. Welcome, Joseph. Hi, Alan. How are you doing? Good. How are you? Good, good. Thank you so much for doing this interview and talking to me. I know you're a very busy man with all the work that you've got going on. And it's a holiday weekend. So, yes, thank you. Yeah, totally. I'm excited to be here. I've uh, heard some of your other episodes, and uh, it's an honor to be on be on here with you. Awesome. Thank you so much. So to get things started, I would love to know kind of where you're born and raised um, and kind of like what your background is growing up. And then, yeah, we'll start there. Uh, originally, I am from Denver, Colorado. Um, at least that's where I was born. My family kind of moved out to the suburbs in of um, like middle school. And then uh, at the beginning of high school, they moved a little bit further to like the countryside in Colorado. Um, so yeah, I, I spent most of my uh, teenage years kind of like in the countryside in Colorado. And um, I went to Brooks Institute, which uh, that's how I know you from. Um, uh, my college years, I moved out there as soon as I graduated high school and um, kind of been in California ever since. So I've, I think I've almost lived in California a little longer than Colorado, or it's, 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 almost, it's almost hitting that mark, getting up there in age. <laughs> That's awesome. So yeah, I know we definitely met in Brooks Institute of Photography, which RIP, so sad that it's no longer around. It's kind of surreal to think that. But um, yeah, so then what kind of made you come down to LA? You know, because obviously you had different choices and could go to different areas, but uh, what specifically drew you to Los Angeles? Well, at the time, um, I knew that I wanted to kind of like hit the ground running when we graduated so that I can, you know, have some type of income to support myself because, you know, my parents were going to obviously stop paying for stuff. I mean, they were paying with stuff for students, using student loans to pay for stuff in the first place. So Mm -hmm. I knew that was ending shortly after uh, (laughs) we graduated. So um, I actually had a really cool roommate at the time. Uh, His name was Cody. And somehow, I'm not sure if he convinced me or I convinced him, but, you know, like I think six months before we graduated, I was like, we got to get to L.A., dude. And um, now it seems like a long commute. It's like an hour and a half. from LA to Santa Barbara, but, you know, being like 20 or 21 years old, it's not that far. So I was like, no, you know, let's get in there, get in Los Angeles. Let's make a name for ourselves while we're still going to school and still having student loan money. And then let's just commute because I think at that time I still only, I I had like maybe one or two classes only. So I was committing, you know, two or three days a week, which is not that bad when you're 21 years old to drive that far for class when you're trying to, you know, hustle down here in the city. Yeah. I forgot that you did that because I know that I did the same thing. I had a roommate, Jen, who we moved down Mm -hmm. to L.A. in downtown L.A. And that's kind of, you know, once you came down here, it was great because I have actually had someone to hang out with other than, you know, this girl. But I forgot that you were commuting back and forth. And yeah, the the fact that we did commute back and forth from Santa Barbara to Los Angeles and is nuts because it's over 100 miles each way. Like it's crazy. I actually think maybe you did it before I did. mm. I'm not not sure, but it was definitely around the same time. But um, yeah, it's kind of crazy to think about now. I mean, I don't even want to go to Santa Monica, which is like 45 (laughs) minutes away or 30 minutes away. I'm like, I'm not going there. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I mean, yeah. So we ended up moving to a loft in downtown, which I think you did, too. And yeah, after graduation, I mean, it was definitely nice to have kind of like a small little network 
down here, whether it was like you or other people we went to school with, but, you know, I was able to secure kind of like an internship mm-hmm. with, um, August Bradley. Oh, uh, he was right. a big photographer at the time. Um, I think since he's, uh, moved more towards like, um, project management software or like life hmm. hacking type of stuff, uh, as you would. But, um, yeah, we, uh, we, we lived, I think in that loft for like eight months, something like that. Yeah. yeah. Pretty, pretty close to the same time you were in and out. It was kind of yeah. my stint too. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. I'm totally forgot about that. It's funny on another podcast, I was talking, uh, with another creative and I forgot that I had done internships because it's, <laughs> it's been so damn long now that I was yeah. kind of like, Oh, I actually worked for someone else. Like, Oh, that's right. That's yeah, I guess, right? part like, of the process. I, I kind of didn't know what I was doing, but I thought I did. <laughs> exactly. But, oh, I think about it. Yeah. Well, I mean, we're also like, what, 21 and very yeah. arrogant and full of ourselves coming from Brooks and probably thought that, you know, and granted, we also came out right when the economy crashed, like the 2008 yeah. time was like the worst time to be graduating and getting into the industry. Yeah. Not to mention like commuting to Santa Barbara, because I remember the gas prices were like, they're basically what they are now, but in 2008, because the whole economy was crashing. So it's like, you don't really have like a, a scope of like how expensive things are. Cause you know, I was living off student loan money. So right. I'm like, it's fine. I paid $50 a day to go up to Santa Barbara for my gas. So, yeah. um, but yeah, that was kind of the worst time to graduate for sure. But, you know, like I said, it was nice to kind of have the network down here and build up, you know, a, a small list of clientele, uh, who was probably okay with not having the best quality of work at the time, even though we probably thought it was amazing. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, I think it's interesting too, because I feel like that time period was so unique to the photo industry in general, like in LA, because I feel like there was a lot of art and a lot of kind of growth happening in downtown and we were really kind of in that and a part of it. But I do feel like there was like a standard at which kind of like, we set, I mean, not like we, but like the industry set. And so I think that we were lucky to get into that before it kind of became this social media craze. I mean, you were the one that turned me on to Instagram before it was even a thing. So you were always kind mm-hmm. of looking and seeking to find these new creative avenues. But yeah, I mean, I think that it was like model mayhem was like the one and only thing that you could really use to find other creatives online and collaborate with really easily. Gosh, that's so crazy to think about Model Mayhem. I'm actually surprised there's not like a Model Mayhem, like, you know, social media app at this point, because, yeah, that was the basically where we found all of our models for mm-hmm. our creative shoots. And I found a lot of friends through there, actually, too, just because they were all in the same industry, hairstylists, makeup artists and stuff. But, uh, yeah, I mean, to speak to what you were saying about, like, getting down here, kind of like when everything was, you know, just beginning, especially in downtown L.A., I mean, we lived in like a penthouse loft and Mm -hmm. it was like really big and it was like $2,400 a month where I'm sure that same exact loft that still exists is like $6,000 a month. So, you know, um, it was definitely expensive at the time, but compared to how things are now, but I mean, I just remember walking downtown and like at the time, you know, being so young, I thought it was so cool because we were downtown and, you know, it was gritty and it was a little crazy uh, not realizing how actually probably unsafe a lot of the areas were because I've I've driven down there since then and obviously like the area we lived in although there's still like the Skid Row and you know some of the little crazier parts of downtown where we were there's you know Starbucks and all mm-hmm. these shops and it's just like kind of this ghetto metropolis yeah. that exists when, whereas where when we were there I mean there wasn't even a coffee shop so yeah um, there was something really great about that 
you know, but um, I think that's also kind of what ultimately led me to like move out of downtown because there wasn't really much to do socially. I mean, unless you're like into the underground, like kind of parties, which I was, but I wasn't like in that scene. So I didn't know about it at the time. Yeah, for sure. Well, it's interesting too, because I think that, you know, you touched on the fact that, you know, we were down there and all these things were happening. And like, I think LA Cafe was like the only place, shout out to LA Cafe, was like the only place to go and like get food and or coffee that was like, not only was it local, but it was really the very few things that were around. And now, like you said, there's a Starbucks on the corner. There's a bunch of like a Whole Foods is in downtown within walking distance. Like that whole thing has become its like own little metropolis. So definitely was not that. And yeah, I agree. We were out on the streets acting a fool probably not knowing how dangerous the streets actually were, but we were just kind of naive. So yeah, that's really when ignorance is bliss because yeah, we, I, I hindsight is always 2020, but I, mm-hmm. I definitely remember being in some like shady situations at the time that I thought was like exciting and, you know, thrilling, but I would definitely not put myself in those situations again. Probably now I have a little more to lose, I think, but yeah, yeah it was, it was a good time for sure. I kind of miss those days, but yeah, it was a good time. Yeah. So curious to know kind of what was your transition like? Because obviously you said when you started in downtown, you were really shooting, you know, like we both were photographers and that's kind of why we went to downtown and everything. Um, And now, you know, you're known for your finishing and your photo retouching work. So kind of if you can give us kind of a a breakdown or kind of timeline as to like how you kind of got more into the post-production side of things instead of necessarily shooting full time. Yeah, so I had, um, you know, once we graduated, uh, I had kind of like a small little steady list of clients. I think a couple of them were like, um, I think like the local gay magazine, maybe Mm -hmm. I forgot what it was called. I don't know if it even exists anymore. Um, We were working with a lot of um, stylists to like, you know, style or shoot their like models. Mm -hmm. And that kind of like led into like, you know, doing test shoots for modeling agencies. Mm-hmm. Um, at the time when I was living in the loft with my roommate, Cody, who went to Brooks with me, um, he, I think moved out not too long after we moved in and I got, a, a roommate named Dylan mm-hmm. and, um, you know, at the time he was a really big model, like locally kind of mm-hmm. in the industry. So through him, I was able to network really well with like hairstylists, makeup artists, other photographers and kind of like build my network as a photographer through that. But, uh, unfortunately I visited my family back home on a holiday and I broke my foot or some, I broke something <laughs> in my lower region of my body and um it wasn't healing properly so i ultimately you know decided after dylan moved out cody moved out i went through a couple different roommates um and then actually before i did that i actually ended up moving to west hollywood with you yeah yeah which i think the whole time we lived there i had a broken foot it just yeah. like, wasn't healing because you know you're mm. younger 21 I'm, i you have to sit for still for six weeks and i just i couldn't Could do it. that at the yeah. time so um yeah i ended up uh, moving from our West Hollywood apartment after downtown back to Colorado with my, my family. Um, and I actually like, I thought life was over. I was like, <laughs> I, you know, I have a good client list. Like I'm working towards my goals, being a photographer, um, got a little depressed for, you know, six months. I think I stayed there ultimately like a year back mm-hmm. in my parents' basement. Um, but uh, kind of how I transitioned from being a photographer to retouching specifically was during that time. I, I don't remember. I don't think LinkedIn even existed. This was like 2010 or 2011. Right. Um, 
and I saw an ad, which I actually think honestly was on Craigslist. And, oh, yes. Um, it was for a retouching intern, which mm-hmm. was at Smashbox Studios, um, right. which, you know, for those people who don't know, is uh, I think it's still big, but it used to be a really big uh, right. photo studio here. A lot of big photographers shoot there. They shoot, you know, cosmetic campaigns, fashion stories, all that stuff. So um, I had already been kind of shooting like fashion and beauty stuff. And mm-hmm. so I was like, oh, this is like perfect. This is a great opportunity. I sent in my resume and luckily enough, um, just because of how big our network was here from Brooks, uh, one of the people who worked there had gone to the same college and I think graduated maybe like a year before us. And so that was kind of like my in. So, you know, they called me and they were basically like, we need an intern like next week. <laughs> so if you want to start, that would be cool. You know, I sent him like a couple of like examples of, you know, retouching, but it was not to the level, obviously, of what I do now. But, you know, I was like, I just need to get in there because I don't want to live in my parents' basement forever. Right. So I, you know, told my parents I got to go to California again. Um, and luckily, like, you know, again, our network here was really helpful. My my friend Kat, she was like my best friend in college. She said that I could stay with her, you know, for a few months, mm-hmm. um, sleeping like anywhere I could in their apartment. I mean, I don't she had a roommate at the time who said it was OK, but I don't think she was really thrilled with the idea. Right. So I, um, you know, I was like, all right. I'm not going to ask too many questions. You said, yes, I'm driving, uh, mind you with a broken foot still. <laughs> um, oh my gosh. So yeah, I, I drove, uh, out here with just my computer and whatever I had at the time and slept on her couch and like on the floor. And, uh, yeah, it was kind of a mess <laughs> to be honest at the, uh, at the beginning, but I, I went into Smashbox and honestly, I kind of, faked it till I made it because Mm -hmm. I mean, at that point, at least because a lot of the stuff they were asking me to do, um, I didn't really know how to do, Mm. but you know, YouTube was just starting to get really big. And so I, you know, they would ask me to do something, uh, regarding retouching, uh, like skin or anything. And I would just Google it, like, like go to the bathroom, Google it, go back (laughs) to the computer desk and be like, I'm going to give this a shot. Wow. Uh, I mean, luckily I started with like, it was like, one of their clients was like a wedding dress client. So it wasn't like anything too crazy. Right. Um, so yeah, I kind of started Googling stuff and I mean, <laughs> you and me, we, we kind of had like a little bit of an education in that, you know, right. with books, but I'd say like, you know, we, we kind of were graduating at a really weird time to where like everything was going from analog to digital. Right. So, um, I feel like amongst our peers, I was definitely already focused on retouching just because mm-hmm. I kind of saw that coming before we graduated. And I was like, I should really pay attention in this Photoshop class because it's probably going to be very helpful. Uh, once I got to where I was faking it and making it into the internship, I was like, all right, I'm going to really focus when I'm not working here. I would go to my friend Kat's place and I would literally still watch tutorials as I'm falling asleep, just like anything my brain could absorb retouching wise, I knew that this internship was going to be short lived and Mm. I needed to kind of make what I could of the opportunity and kind of just snowballed after that. Wow. I forgot about Smashbox. So yeah, because for people that don't know Smashbox studios and also Coyote studios at the time did a merger and became kind of a big 
company together. And then, yeah, Smashbox kind of went away, but they were, yeah, in the early 2000s or mid 2000s, they were definitely like top of the line. And then they also had their own cosmetics line. And yeah, and you actually did a lot of beauty photography yourself. And I know that you did a lot of post work kind of on your own stuff. So I think, you know, you knew kind of how to do that stuff. So it makes sense that you were went into Smashbox and started doing it. But I'm sure it was probably at a level that you were kind of like, uh, you want me to do what with this? Yeah, I was really focused, like generally like graduating to get into the beauty or, or fashion industry. So like it wasn't completely like outside of the realm of possibility of what I wanted to do. So I kind of knew what needed to be done. It was just the more of how it needs to get done wasn't like fully imagined on like a professional level like that. Right. I mean, granted, I wasn't like expected fully to have that because I was an intern, you know, but I was taking it very seriously. And the fact that like I need to really prove to them that I know what I'm doing so I could get a job here <laughs> versus because I think I, I think it was like an unpaid internship or maybe it was like ten dollars an hour, a very minimum wage in California at the time. And, you know, shortly after, you know, I gave Kat and her roommate basically everything. I think I lived with them for like two months and I just gave them everything I could. Um, but yeah, at one point I, I finally sat down with them and I was like, uh, this isn't working. <laughs> I mean, it is, but it's like, I have to get my own apartment. Like I can't couch surf for like, you know, a few months because even in between the, uh, living with her, I just to make it easier on them, I'd be like asking everybody I could to go, you right. know, stay on their couch or whatever. Right. Um, I think, do you remember Maria Laksamana? She's yes, another yeah. really talented photographer here in LA now. But um, yeah, I stayed on her couch for a couple of weeks. I was just reaching out to anybody I could to take the burden off of them to, to where I could make it last as long as I could. Yeah. No, that I mean, that is kind of, that leads me to the next question, which is kind of like, what are the personal struggles that you've had to go through that you think have really helped you to kind of be more creative um, in your field? Um, I think that was definitely like kind of one of the biggest ones was like i i was focusing on learning as much as i could but also like i had the broken foot and i was like couch surfing at the time so it was kind of like limited to like how much i could learn like without affecting too many people around me in a negative way you know soon after i think i was there for six months total at uh, at smashbox as an intern and mm -hmm. then i you know sat them down one day and I was like, Hey, like, I would love to, you know, be a full-time person. Um, I mean, I was still full-time, but I was getting paid, you know, super low wages, which understandable. So as an intern, but you know, I was like, you know, if we could do like, you know, $14 an hour, like as like a retoucher, not an intern, that would be great. And, you know, they're like, we'll talk about it. We'll get back to you tomorrow. And, um, crazy how the universe works but that night when i went home mm -hmm. uh our friend mutual friend of ours chelsea who mm -hmm. um also went to school with us she had been working at like a artist representation company which i think she still works at yes um you know she was like she texted me uh she was a good friend of mine in college as well so you know we were always in touch but she was like hey we're actually looking to hire a retoucher in-house because ours is quitting or they just need somebody mm -hmm. so you know, I called out the next day to my internship. Uh, I went in there and kind of tested the waters, see how I like the vibe, whatever. Um, you know, and then they kind of offered me a job at the very end as well. Um, but they were offering me, I think, 15 an hour. Nice. And so I was like, oh, shit, I'm going to have to tell Smashbox, like, I got to go here because they're offering me this. And then um, also on the same day that I'm interviewing with Chelsea and trying to see if I like it, um, 
I get a text from my friend uh, Christina, who yeah. is also used to be a mutual friend of ours, um, yeah. who went to school with us, who is, I think, also now a producer for video commercials, stuff like that. But mm -hmm. um, it was either her or a, another mutual friend who didn't go to school with us, but Randy. But mm -hmm. somehow I met another group of friends at one point and they were like, hey, we're also looking for a retoucher. Um, at this company called Lunatics Digital, mm -hmm. uh, which was just a full retouching agency, like boutique, you know, small business, maybe like four or five people at the time. And I was like, oh, that's crazy because I just, you know, interviewed here and they offered and then I'm, you know, talking to Smashbox in the background. So the next day I call out of both jobs because I told, I actually ended up telling uh, Chelsea's company, mm -hmm. uh, Artist Representation Inc., yes. Yeah. And then I was going to tell Smashbox, sorry, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not staying here anymore. But then I was like, I, I, cold, I was like, I'm sick to, to both companies. <laughs> I was like, I can't come into either. I'm sick. Like, if, give me a few days. So then <laughs> I sick. go in to interview, uh, you know, with this new retouching company. Um, I think same thing. They were working on like a big project at the time is like Trina, like the mm, rapper. Like yeah. they were working on her like comeback album or something. <laughs> and, um, you know. I spent probably way too long doing what I needed to do, which is just like removing some spots from her butt or something. But uh, I got along really well with the owner and, you know, mm. our friend Randy and Christina. Uh, Christina didn't work there, but, you know, it was a very, very friendly atmosphere. It mm. was run out of the guy's like, you know, office, very mm. small, uh, not too serious. So I was like, this seems if they offer me like the best thing. So the next day I get a call from all three of the, the companies that I'm kind of involved with at this time and i tell you know i'm kind of negotiating because he was going to pay me the best to be honest but yeah. um it ends up i think uh the artist representation company offers me 15 smashbox is like we're not going higher than 14 and the other agency called lunatics was like we'll give you 16 oh, wow. and i think even if they were a little lower i probably would have picked them anyway because mm -hmm. you know it was a really cool uh, vibe. Um, the owner was gay, which was like really cool for me at the time, just like being a young gay man. I was like, okay, like I, I can relate to somebody who's doing exactly what I'm doing in the industry, kind of like a mentor. So I, um, yeah, I just like, I'm like, all right, bye guys. I, I, you know, I call the other two. I'm like, I'm, I'm moving on. And, um, you know, the rest is kind of history. I mean, things get a little more crazy as far as like changing career wise, but that's kind of like generally how I got my start. You know, I stayed there for like five years just retouching and uh, yeah, I kind of learned through the people who worked there, working my way up there eventually. Yeah, no, that's awesome. So yeah, you if you're there for five years, then I'm sure you've you learned a plethora of kind of all the ins and outs of retouching and the different types of retouching and and working. And so kind of through that time, what do you think that you've really learned to be like your greatest strength in your field that you feel like um, maybe really kind of came out of all this different processing and working with all these different people and kind of figuring out your own way? I think initially I was always, I had this dream in college that like I wanted to work for Sephora. So I was like always focused on like really learning how to like do really close up beauty shots mm -hmm. and make them look natural, but still very beautiful. Right. Um, and so that's another reason why I chose this place to work initially too, because their clients were really big photographers at the time. Mm -hmm. 
Um, they were shooting, you know, they were working on like the covers of Vogue, Vanity Fair. Um, they were working with E! Hollywood, like mm -hmm. uh, all the Kardashian stuff. So like I was kind of just thrown into this whirlwind of like celebrity culture, um, you know, fashion, beauty, which is exactly where I wanted to be. Um, you know, I didn't fully realize like my eye wasn't attuned to what I thought it needed to be attuned to at the time, but working mm -hmm. through Renato who had been doing this for, you know, a few years, the owner of the company, um, you know, I learned really what to look for as far as like lighting and, um, texture and color. Like we learned all this stuff in school, but like, it's different when you're like just doing it on a computer versus like shooting it. So you kind of mm -hmm. have to like know, um, after the things are shot, like how things are lit, because if you're a retoucher, just jumping into like retouching and you don't know lighting or photography, that's basically going to be your downfall. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, you have to know lighting, you have to know color theory, you have to know all that stuff. So I think, although I didn't end up going the photography route, um, I think that education was very helpful for sure to like understand like where things needed to end up for like a magazine quality or advertisement quality type of work. Mm -hmm. So I learned a lot of that through the company. I struggled with it at first because I had just never experienced that. Right. Um, like I said, the internship was mostly like, although they had big clients too with Smashbox, it was mostly like wedding dress stuff because I was an intern, you know, they don't want to give me big name stuff. Mm -hmm. <laughs> So, yeah, we kind of, yeah, those are my main struggles to begin with, was just like actually dialing in and connecting the digital artistry with the photography. Got it. Yeah, no, that's crazy. I think that, yeah, school teaches you like up to a certain point, but beyond that, you really have to just learn it on the fly and in the industry. And yeah, having a photographic eye and background, though, I think is like, detrimental and necessary to be able to retouch for the post-production so you know what it should look like. Otherwise you get really wonky looking, poorly lit kind of, you know, hack jobs per se exactly. that kind of come out. So yeah, that totally makes sense. Um, have you had a moment recently or in the last, you know, X amount of years that you've been working that you kind of felt like, wow, I've really made it. Like, was there something that you really wanted to achieve with the work that you were doing and you finally kind of accomplished that? I feel like since I started working at that company and I think, you know, this is all that stuff happened within like the same year or two. Um, there were a few pivotal moments, especially when I was working there, you know, where like we would have photographers who I used to like put on my like vision board, their work mm. come into the office and I would be working on their photographs with them sitting behind me. Wow. So, you know, that was, those were cool moments for sure. Um, which also I think, you know, at a certain point it's like that happens so much. It's not that like you get used to it, but it's like, you kind of get hungry for more and more and more to where it's like, you know, all right, this is great, but what else can I do? Mm -hmm. You know? So I kind of, um, you know, after like five or six years, I got involved with um, a photo shoot on set for behind the scenes of like uh, the Hunger Games movie. I think this is like maybe the second or third. Um, a friend of mine who I also met, he didn't go to school with us, but I met him just, you know, through my friends. And mm -hmm. he was a, an on-set photographer, which in like the ad agency world for entertainment means like you're basically either shooting, you know, um, 
the actors in between takes to use for the advertisements, like the billboards and stuff like that, or you're actually on set during the movie, taking stills of the whole, sh- you know, movie right. to also be used for PR, for publicity, for advertisements right. and stuff like that. So, you know, I, I, uh, thankfully enough, my boss at the time, Renato at the, the agency was like, yeah, I'd like go do this. this is a good opportunity. So it was like, I think a six week project in Atlanta. And, mm-hmm. you know, I was just digital teching at the time. Which I also had, I, I like knew how to digital tech theoretically because, you know, I'm using these softwares all day, but I kind of also didn't really know what I was doing. But the, <laughs> the same uh, methodology applied to where I faked it until I made it. Yeah. So I, you know, who's Googling how to do all this like image processing as they're shooting all this stuff. So they're shooting, you know, all the celebrities in between takes, um, stuff like that. So that kind of snowballed from there. And I kind of call it like my second career because. I kind of from there moved from retouching to what we call in the ad agency world for for entertainment is finishing. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I came back, I was like, all right, well, not that I'm bored of you know retouching because I do love it, but it's like I had been there for so long, and I was like, uh, let's see. Also, like my pay was kind of stagnant for the past five years, right? You, you know, and I was like, I I feel like I'm doing you know really high quality work for not enough money. And, you know, I got paid really well in this photo shoot and I, I, you know, I made it happen even though I didn't really know what I was doing. Um, so on that, on those photo shoots, you know, I met the owner of an agency that was then called Ignition. Mm-hmm. I think they still exist, but the owner doesn't, you know, it's not the same owner, but I came back and I was, you know, I messaged him. I was like, this is great meeting you guys on set. Um, you know, I, I'm a retoucher with a lot of experience. If you guys ever need anybody, let me know. And I didn't even know what finishing was at the time, mm-hmm. um, you know, doing movie posters and stuff. But, you know, he emailed back and he's like, great, come in for like an interview like tomorrow or something, literally. Wow. And kind of the same thing happened where like I had to tell Renato, you know, the agency, I was like, oh, I know you just gave me like six weeks off. But I need one more day because I got to go in for this interview. And I felt really bad about it. But I was like, I just got to see what's out there, you know. Yeah. So I, um, yeah, I went in there. And they were like, okay, cool. Yeah, like I was still under the impression when they offered me the job that I was going to be a retoucher, which is essentially what I do as a finisher, but it's finishing is a little more complicated than that. Hmm. Like I think I told you before this, it's like you can be, you know, a retoucher, but not a finisher. Hmm. Uh, but if you're a finisher, you're definitely a retoucher. Hmm. Um, like kind of parentheses, a finisher is basically somebody who's finishing uh, an art director's advertisement for a movie um that's been approved by like clients uh like movie movie clients uh movie studios to then get you get the green light to build a full movie poster like like high resolution retouched make it beautiful that's kind of what you do so wow um so yeah they they ended up offering me a job there too and i was like shit i I don't know why i keep getting myself in these situations but you know like i'm just gonna roll with it for a little while um and then I uh, accept the job and same thing, literally the same exact thing thing to make it like they got in there and they're like all this jargon that I've never heard of. That's like so industry industry specific to like the entertainment advertising world with right. movies. Right. Do this, do this, do this. We need like these layers. Uh, we need we need you to build this comp high resolution. We need to do all this. I had no idea what they were talking about, mm. but I just sat there with my phone and started Googling stuff. And I'm like, OK, I guess I got to figure this out. Wow. Yeah. It was crazy. That's My first uh, project with them was, um, I don't remember if you, or I don't know if you remember the show Orphan 
it was like a long time ago, a really, really cool ad campaign. It was like a, a story of this woman who was like cloned a bunch of times and she finds her clones throughout the world. But um, they basically wanted me to make a woman's face with um, three eyes. Like it was like two people combined into one, but like mm-hmm. it had to look like one person's face. Mm. Um, actually, sorry, it was two eyes, but they, they wanted two separate people merged into one because right. the whole idea of the concept of the ad was like a clone. Right. And so like at the time I was just like painting things on painting and just like stacking layers. And the file was like 50 gigabytes. and I had no idea what I was doing, but wow. it ended up, they ended up approving it and the whole ad campaign went out like uh, internationally. So wow. that was kind of my first taste with, with that type of work. So, um, yeah, in between, uh, now and then, which was also maybe like six or seven years ago, I've, you know, I've quit that full time job, went freelance, and I've been switching between retouching and 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 finishing. Mm-hmm. Um, but then somehow I ended up uh, at, at a full time job right now, finishing. So that's kind of where we are at this moment. Which is funny enough, the same, the owner of that company, Ignition, is mm-hmm. the same owner of this company. They kind of like split into two different companies. So I'm kind of back with them in a weird way. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. Wow. That's cool. Yeah, no, it sounds like, you know, what you do is such a specific niche within the market that probably a lot of people don't know or realize, you know, all we see is kind of the final results, right? In billboards and at movie theaters and, you know, on your Netflix screen or whatever it is, but there's so many people behind the scenes that make all of that happen. And yeah, I didn't, until you told me about, you know, what finishing was, I had no clue, you know, as a photographer, I just see it as retouching your images and, you know, Yes. And putting the stuff together to look good, you know, for your final result. But you take it to like another level when you're literally taking like someone's sketch of like all the layouts and everything and then creating an entire poster or campaign for some matter, you know, and, and making it look like this huge thing that, you know, probably has does not look like that when you get it from the photography, you know, department. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of crazy because, um, you know, we get jobs that like yeah sometimes they are just like approved sketches and then you have to kind of like build out the photography and the assets to make a full billboard but um one thing that's notably different in the industry in the past few years is um you know with you know um streaming networks mm-hmm. uh being so big right now um and like the competition for you know the different streaming networks is getting bigger it's like the the industry that's changed the most probably has been like the agency side and the production side is the finishing, which I'm doing is, you know, now when I first started finishing, we used to have to make like, it's called a key art size, which is very specific size. It's like a vertical billboard, a vertical art. And then there was a horizontal, but because of the streaming wars that that are going on, um, I mean, not even just because of the streaming wars, but just streaming in general. So like we have to, if there's approved artwork for the actual billboard, that has to also be built and broken out into, like you said, like the Netflix thumbnails you see, mm-hmm. um, different digital asset uh, buys that the ad companies buy. So like New York Times has all these di- digital like billboards. So right. you have to make sure that like this artwork is like fully adjustable to like all of these different dimensions that used to be just a print dimension. So the the work has definitely increased like mm. as i've been working in this industry for so long so it's almost like it's it's taking on a lot of different 
you're wearing a lot of different hats now than than I used to even just be doing in the very beginning, which was just simply two billboards and you break out and that's it. So right. yeah, it's it's interesting. Has the budget or has the amount of like time and money that you put into these projects gone up because you're putting so much more into creating them or not really? I think the buy on the agency side, they're definitely getting more money depending on the usage. Mm-hmm. Um, although there are some tricky clients who would want to squeeze in like a few digital billboards here and there, you know, mm-hmm. because you're supposed to specifically like build out each particular art that they want. But sometimes the client's like, Hey, let's do like a normal key art size, but Mm -hmm. let's give us 20 inches of bleed. And it's like, you know, you can't just do that because you're going to be able to break that into anything you want. And that's going to take me five days to do that, you know, which is, you know, frustrating part where it's like, if they don't buy that initially, then it's like, I don't build for that. Right. So if I'm not building for that initially, it affects how I build it, you know? So if I, if I know this is going to be moved around and broken out into different pieces, then I'm going to build it so that you can move pieces around like foreground, mm. background, people, subjects, etc. So yeah, it's, 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 it is a little tricky, but I think for the most part, people agencies are getting paid if, if the client is wanting to buy other assets, mm-hmm. but sometimes they try to sneak it in. <laughs> Interesting. So when you hand over files to like, let's say an agency, do they have the ability to do that? Where like if they have a 20 inches of bleed on every side, didn't you give them all the layers so they're able to just kind of move stuff around and like reposition it how they want it? Or do you have to give them each asset kind of like, this is for Netflix, this is for Hulu, this is specifically for an ad banner, you know, on amazon.com or whatever it is, um, you know, or how does that kind of work? Like, is it do you have to make a ton of assets, I guess, is the question that I'm asking, or is it kind of like, here's a file you can mess with? Well, typically it's like usually the same client because, you know, if we're doing a Netflix project, it's going to be all of the breakouts for Netflix, Netflix alone. So it's Mm -hmm. like a Netflix print billboard on the highway or, you know, a digital billboard or an Instagram ad. So in that case, we would kind of um, give them, multiple files depending on the print or digital but um usually what happens is you know if if they don't request all these different breakouts kind of like i said in the beginning then we have to like go and do that but it's interesting because most of the networks or mm-hmm. you know movie companies they don't really have the manpower to kind of do all that stuff, which is obviously why our industry exists. So um, sometimes we'll deliver art with like, you know, movable assets to where they can do kind of a little bit. But if it's like a, if it's a drastic change in artwork or like the scale of something or the proportions, Mm -hmm. um, we kind of handle all that on our end um, just because they don't really have the manpower for that. Um, that also sometimes doesn't fall into my wheelhouse. Generally, I'll just be taking care of the art right. um, as big as they need it. So initially, we'll know how big we need to build something. And then I hand that off to production artists, which um, are kind of the people who do all that breaking out and moving stuff around. And you know, they're the ones who are in charge of the logo placement and the title treatment and all that stuff. So typically they don't have a lot of production artists on their side, like the movie Mm. companies um, to do that stuff. So it's easier for us to do it. I mean, not easier, but it's easier for them for us to do it. (laughs) Right. Right. Okay. So you're really an artist then in the sense of like, you're really building out the entire artwork for it and you, 
then it obviously goes, like you said, to production. And then they kind of, you know, add all of the element, other elements like the texting and whatever, but you get to actually create kind of like what the poster is going to look like based on what the art director originally kind of put forth. Right. Yeah. And typically like, I mean, not to say that it's not creative because it is, but, but, um, you know, once the art is approved, you usually have to work with the art director closely first to kind of like make sure that you're building it how they want and properly. And then there's a lot of bureaucracy, obviously that goes behind it because, you know, these are million dollar campaigns. So it's like, I'm building this, but I'm constant communication with, you know, the art director. And then obviously the creative director has like the ultimate say on our side. And then there's the whole bureaucracy on the client side. So it's like, we have to get all of this artwork approved to the art director's standards, the creative director's standards internally. And then eventually once it's internally approved, we send that artwork out to the companies to also go through their internal process and then get that approved. And then anywhere along the lines on either side of the company, internally or externally, there can be somebody who wants to fix something. So it's a lot of back and forth. And, wow. you know, most of the time it's obviously great feedback and it, it, we're all working as a team to make like really cool artwork. But mm-hmm. sometimes obviously you also have like a lot of egos and a lot of stuff that is very unnecessary. So we end up Either way, if it's good or bad, we, we, we work long hours, agency side. We work long hours for sure. It's not like a nine to five type of thing. Right. Wow. That's crazy. I'm guessing also, do you work with like international clients as well? I know a lot of the assets go out to international clients, but do you guys work with international companies, say like in China or, you know, Japan or like um, maybe South America or something like that? Um, a lot of the companies that are overseas have their own branch of um, com- like internal agencies that they'll work with. But if the campaign is big enough, we will, and if that's our like job, our client, we will do that. I've done that this past year for like a couple international releases. So if that's the case, that's also really tricky because, you know, we don't really have standard sizes for a lot of international advertising. So, hmm. you know, we, we have to like be in communication with either them or like the contact person who's overseas, which also, you know, these people are, everyone's so busy. It's like kind of hard to communicate with sometimes, but, hmm. um, I used to work for before, before this full-time job, before the pandemic. Um, luckily I got this job right <laughs> when the pandemic happened because no I was kidding. freelance for a really long time and I, I was, I wouldn't have had a job, but, um, um, yeah, I worked for a uh, national, like a huge, you know, shoe company and, we were acting as kind of like the hub for um, all of the advertisements for the whole world. That wow. was retouching, not finishing, but it's you know right. retouching. But you would you would treat that in that situation as like the client, even though it's within the same company because the headquarters they have many headquarters all over the world. Each headquarters is kind of your client, hmm. so you have to please them as your own client, even though you're in the same organization. If that wow. makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Wow, that's intense. Are you yeah. able to share with us, uh, the listeners, any kind of big, uh, maybe movie posters or something that you worked on recently that would people would kind of recognize if you're able to say, obviously? The biggest ones are all almost finished, so I can't say a lot of them. <laughs> Got it. Um, but but previously, you know, with the same agency, mm-hmm. um, although I was freelance, you know, 
and this is public on their website. They they released it, so I'm not like revealing anything. But you know, I was part of the team member who did a lot of the Hunger Games stuff. Mm-hmm. I think most of the Hunger Games stuff. Right. Um, and the same agency uh, that I work with now, I was freelancing at the time. I did a lot of the Power Rangers movie posters. Very cool. Uh, worked with them at the time. Um, and you know, when I was at the retouching agency before this company, mm-hmm. um, years ago, we, we were basically the Kardashians like go-to agency and right. that was all me basically. And, and Renato, the people who worked at the small agency, it was all us. So all those billboards you saw, all the stuff you saw on TV was, yeah, it was us. So we've had some pretty notable stuff. Um, yeah, I'm excited actually in a few months we can circle back and I'll uh, tell you what we're working on now, but there's some pretty big stuff in the works for sure. That's amazing. Yeah. I think, well, I'm sure a lot of it has kind of been put on hold too. Cause obviously the pandemic has really, you know, you look at film and there's like very few films that came out last year that were really notable or like that of like action films or really kind of, you know, blockbustery. So I'm sure that kind of affected your guys industry but i know you do more than just that kind of genre so yeah it definitely did especially um like the actual you know movie companies you know um or you know studios like the studios themselves they were all not producing a lot of work but you know love it or hate it like netflix was thriving hulu was thriving like all these other agencies which you know my my agency is not like specific or unique in working with these companies like you know say that but like a lot of a lot of agencies are working for hulu and netflix and amazon all these streaming companies because there's so much work to be done that like you can't just have one or two agencies um but yeah luckily those kept us afloat kind Mm. of during the pandemic but uh, you know as things are opening up I will say that like we are starting to get a lot more studio work again, like typical movie releases, which is usually bigger budget and bigger artwork, bigger star power, stuff right. like that. So it's nice to kind of get back into that groove for sure. Yeah, no, that's cool. And I feel like, yeah, there's so much content that, like you said, the str- I like that you called it the streaming wars. I didn't even know that that was a thing, but it <laughs> definitely makes yeah. sense. But it's kind of like there's so much content they produce themselves that it almost does just become a blur because you just constantly see these new artwork pieces, you know, on your streaming apps for movies or TV shows or whatever. And it's just kind of like whatever. But you don't realize that, yeah, there's like months, if not almost a year sometimes behind all of that work that's gone into it to, to make that yeah. you know, thumbnail or however large it is on your phone, you know, kind of see it. So that's cool. Yeah, that's actually funny too because like sometimes, you know, I'll love the work that we're doing and stuff like that. But then sometimes when you work until like midnight on like some little tiny change of like somebody's hair that takes like six hours to get approved, Uh, you know, and it's like, really, am I wasting six hours of my life for this stupid little hair that someone's going to scroll past in half a second right. that that stuff can definitely like be discouraging and, and you know like frustrating but i guess in the greater scheme of things it's a cool project anyway you know yeah for sure yeah. So interesting. Uh, I just want to kind of ask, like, what maybe brings you the most happiness or joy now versus kind of when you first started out, you know, kind of at the Smashbox and interning and maybe not really knowing kind of what uh, you were doing per se. And now that you're kind of like the pro that you are working with these, you know, large clients at this agency. Well, to be completely transparent, I'm not the happiest, you know, (laughs) doing this type of stuff, because like I said, it is very draining. We work very long hours. Mm. And, you know, before this, like 
this job that I'm at now, I'm super grateful and I love my team and the art that I work on and projects are amazing. But I was freelance before this for almost six years. Right. And so it is really hard for me to kind of just sit in front of a desk and have to be accountable for my time for like 10 or 12 hours a day because mm. we're working so long to have to respond to people, to have to be in front of my computer that long. So, mm. I mean, I'm happy generally, but, you know, I, I also really don't think that I'll probably do this for too much longer. Hmm. Um, at least, at least full time. Right. Hopefully no one from agency is going to ever see this, but, <laughs> um, don't listen. I, I, yeah, I prefer the freelance life, which I would happily work for them freelance. It's just mm -hmm. like, you know, if I want to take a day off here or two, it's not going to count against me. So like, right. you know, there's that moving forward. And I think, um, I think because I've been doing this for so long that in general, like even if I got a new job or I was freelancing, I just, the most I, I'm happy not sitting in front of a computer. So like mm. I've just never been able to explore that side of like who I am because I've been tethered to a computer for my entire life, starting from right when I was 21 years old. So I've been, you know, exploring a lot of um, creative outlets, you know, as hobbies. I've been doing a lot of like uh, as of recent, like making amazing um, ceramic. I mean, not ceramic, uh, cement pottery, mm. like. So I'm working my way up to hopefully um, build giant, like life-size cement art. So wow. I think I kind of miss the artistry and the exploration versus kind of like someone telling you how to be creative because all the bureaucracy. Right. So that that's starting to bring me joy. And I, I kind of want to work with my hands a little more and be creative in that aspect. Um, you know, it might not be like the most financial, financially sound decision I've made, but, you know, at this age, you know, I'm almost 35 and it's like, I kind of want to just not sit in front of the computer forever. So that's kind of where I'm at as far as like happiness and career go. <laughs> yeah, no, that's amazing. I think that, yeah, now that we're in our thirties and yeah. you know, you kind of, you have to be able to drive joy, even if it's not necessarily from your work. And I know you said you're very grateful and I'm sure there's aspects of it that you do love, but I think it can definitely be taxing to constantly be in front of a computer working. And like you said, you're, it's not corporate, but it's corporate in the sense of like emails and calls and zoom calls and having to like keep track of people and schedules and you know, all of that stuff. It can day, be very taxing. Yeah. yeah all day long. <laughs> and so, no, I totally get that. Um, so obviously, um, you talked about your work ethic. So do you have something spiritually or something that, uh, has really kind of helped you to like stay grounded as like a creative and not lose it when you're, you're in these very stressful and like hardworking kind of conditions? Um, before the pandemic, yes. I mean, I was, I, you know, during, while I was freelancing, uh, doing the same stuff, you know, I, I was a yoga teacher for a short stint. I did like a 200 hour yoga teaching training, uh, very into, you know, keeping my mind and my body healthy. Mm -hmm. Um, so it was a good balance, but you know, as soon as the pandemic hit and I got a full-time job, it kind of like all came crashing down. I mean, obviously everyone in the world, but it's taken a little longer for me, I think to like kind of start back up my spiritual practice, my mm -hmm. body work, just keeping in shape, which mm -hmm. is uh, like a, the worst time to like lose my like workout regimen is like when I'm sitting all day anyway. Right. But, um, yeah, that, and, um, I do play, which is also really bad because I hate sitting in front of the computer, but I do play a lot of video games. Mm -hmm. So I'm trying to ease myself out of that with this art stuff. Got um, it. so I'm doing that and, you know, I do, which is kind of weird to say at the time because it's like this weird pop culture thing, but I've been 
trading cryptocurrency for the past like five or six years and it's finally mainstream but i do do a lot of that which is also annoying that it's in front of my computer mm. um so yeah i guess i haven't done anything to get out of in front of my computer besides this new you know pottery uh the new ceramic art art i keep calling it ceramic like cement art right right um so there's that and then um yeah just i think that like in the near future i see myself not being in front of a computer so much and honestly maybe even moving states just because um it might be a little easier to take the non full time route if I'm living somewhere where it's a little more affordable to live. So um, I think that might be a great incentive for me to like actually get in shape, get back into my spiritual practice, mm. take my like non digital art ser- so seriously. Mm-hmm. Like doing your actual art that's not like the digital retouching and stuff and doing it for you yeah, yeah, for sorry. the sake. Yeah, tangible art. Right. Yeah, yeah, right. exactly. Yeah. yeah. No, that's great. Yeah. No, it's hard. I mean, I think that anytime that it's, it's that balance between like art and commerce, right? So it's kind of like you're making really good money doing what you do and you have a great job, but that also comes at the risk of like, yeah, you're constantly in front of a computer and it is a job and the artistry sometimes almost seems maybe secondary because it's on someone else's deadline and not necessarily yours. So yeah, I, and someone else's creative vision. I mean, I bring my own creative vision, obviously, to right. like make sure that it looks great. But like, yeah, you know, a lot of the time it's like not your original concept. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, even as like I'm making everything look amazing, there are obviously opinions that like are, you know, more important than mine. So it's right. like even though I think this may look better, I have to do what you say. So, yeah, it's right. yeah, it's this weird balance. So. Hopefully I can get out of that one day. <laughs> nice. Have you been shooting at all? Like for yourself or kind of doing your, and by shooting, I mean camera, not gun people. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or maybe you are shooting you guns. Be yeah. Right. <laughs> um, no, I actually haven't. Um, I actually, yeah, it's funny. We forgot to mention during all this, I was shooting a little bit on my own, like, mm-hmm. you know, throughout this and having my own art shows. And I, I kind of do miss that. Um, aspect of it but then even thinking about doing more art on my own like i said it's digital artwork and i'm so burnt out on digital that i just can't but um Mm. that's that's why i haven't been shooting to be honest because you know not to say that like my career kind of like drained my passion for like digital photography but it kind of did because Mm. it's like the last thing i want to do is like retouch my own artwork when i've been retouching for 10 hours so yeah, that's unfortunate. But yeah, I have not picked up a camera in years. Got it. <laughs> unfortunately. Got it. No, I mean, it happens, but that's why you kind of, yeah, like you said, you find other avenues to be able to express yourself creatively. So that's great. Yeah. I think that's so important too. Cause like I'm realizing that, you know, it's like, I never knew another craft besides photography or digital art. And since I haven't been doing that, I've been going crazy. And now that I've been starting to do this other like stuff with my hands, although Mm. it's not like the best, it's like, okay, now I can like teach myself something, learn something and like have a creative outlet. You know, it's really, that's so important for any creative, whether you're corporate freelance intern, you, you have to have like some type of creative outlet. And if you're not getting like, if you're not getting your drive from your work, although it's creative, you have to like have another outlet. Cause mm-hmm. I was for so long just telling myself that I was getting that from work and I'm not. So mm. oh, it's so important to get your creative drive from somewhere else if you're not getting it from work. Yeah, no, absolutely. So what's kind of uh, one thing or maybe multiple things that you kind of learned about yourself through working in this industry, kind of tapping on kind of what we talked about, but have you kind of learned something about yourself that you didn't know maybe by, by working in your field? 
Uh, yeah, I've learned that I am more prone to, in an organizational or like corporate structure, to be more of um, a project manager, hmm. or at least my mentality is. So I think that's also kind of why sometimes my job's a little taxing is because, you know, I see a lot of things that can be done with different methodologies that may improve the process on mm -hmm. my end and just like in general on agencies. Right. So um, I've really realized if I do go after this, if I, if I do leave this job and something else doesn't work out, I would probably get into that field because like um, my brain is a little more organizational and um you know focuses on like how to improve things through processes mm -hmm. which is finishing basically i have to figure out how to make something better so i've i've realized through trial and error of working with different uh people and departments within agencies that like uh my strengths are kind of to manage teams because i you know i manage teams at this agency so mm -hmm. um i've realized that i've actually started a there's like a google um they have like certificates for uh, courses. Hmm. So I'm in like a six month project management course right now, which is actually re really cool and really amazing. So I think if, you know, I keep my hobbies with tangible art, I think my next step might be to step into like a project management role. Um, so I've learned that through, even though it has nothing to do with retouching, I've learned that that's my strength for sure within like teams is project management. Wow. That's great though. I think that, I mean, it's so useful too in so many aspects of like business in general. And so being yeah. able to like know that about yourself and like also enjoy it as a strength. I think that that's yeah. like crucial. So it's like a little bit of OCD for sure too. That's why it's like, you know, you got to check all your, check all your boxes, yeah. dot your eyes, cross your teeth. Absolutely. Um, yeah, that's, that, that's definitely true. And it's, it's the, the cool thing about project management, which I'm also learning is that like, it's, it's kind of like cross industry. You can kind of take those skills and apply them to each industry. It's the same process to like complete a project or a goal or, mm -hmm. you know, an outcome. So I, I, I think that's a good way to like navigate my career in the future is to kind of cross industries so that I don't get stuck and bored in one industry doing one thing like I've been doing my whole life, you know? Right. Right. Yeah. Have so because you're the work that you do is so like specific, is there, does your, either the agency or yourself have kind of like either an intern program or like a teaching program on kind of how to get into these things for like, let's say listeners that are, you know, coming out of school and want to maybe do what you do or kind of learn about it. And they don't necessarily teach it in school. As we <laughs> said, is there kind of a way to like learn it or is it something that you just kind of go into by learning other routes? Like doing retouching and then kind of making your way there the yeah our agency in general is kind of an interesting career path because like you said i mean you could study advertising or you can study like design and mm -hmm. like um graphic design or, or photography and you can kind of all end up in the same place if that's kind of where you want to go um our agency specifically they don't we don't have like kind of like a program although we have typically when you start out in this industry anywhere you want to you start out as a junior mm -hmm. you know which is kind of what i did was an internship um although this is probably a little more advanced than what i was doing because it's designing posters movie right. posters but um yeah you'll uh, start out with as a junior and kind of work under art directors and 
probably doing stuff that you don't want to do, but I think it's kind of like the same thing. You put in the time and then eventually you'll get promoted. I know that we have creative directors who've been at the company since they were juniors and that was like 10 or 15 years ago and they're like creative directors now. But I think anybody trying to start out specifically in like the advertising world as like an art director or designer or even more specifically like the entertainment advertising world, which is, you know, designing movie posters is to just get a portfolio together of like, anything that you've done i know Mm -hmm. a lot of people just like maybe design movie posters as like a spoof or like for fun or whatever but i mean if you can get a portfolio together of designs you've done just to show agencies that like you kind of have like a creative braid and you could think outside the box of like what movie posters should be Mm -hmm. you have a good chance of like you know getting in as at least an intern they they call it juniors junior Mm -hmm. designers junior art directors um on that level and it's if you're not there already or you don't have the skills that you need to get an art director position, that's kind of the only way you can get in is you have to just put in the work as a junior uh, right. for a lot of the places. So yeah, a lot of the skills will transfer over, but um, just try to get in anywhere you can as a junior. Wow. That's great. I love it. Um, so through all of this, you know, the everything that you've kind of gone through and, and stayed here in LA and everything, who's kind of been your biggest uh, supporter or fan that's really helped you to keep going through everything? I think I've had like a couple of mentors throughout my career, which, you know, for better or worse, they were my, my fan, my biggest fan. Um, the first agency was, you know, lunatics. And that was my friend Renato, who's mm-hmm. like one of my best friends still, you know, he's, he kind of taught me the ropes of the craft itself, but then also, you know, as we grew together in our, you know, professional relationship, we developed a friendship, a really close friendship. And he's a great mentor to me just in life in general. Um, or I would have his back and he would have my back, that type of thing. Um, and then just the network of people we have with school, like you, like everyone we know, we kind of all have each other's back, at least like creatively knowing that we're here for each other if we need to collaborate or like lend or borrow equipment or, you know, lead a little encouragement, um, stuff like that. And then specifically at the agency I'm at now, I have a really great friend of mine who actually ended up becoming the president of production, uh, when I started. Um, but I've worked with her for a really long time and mm. she's always hired me as a freelancer for a really long time. And, you know, we're really close, although we've only hung out like in person a couple times like throughout <laughs> like five or six years because I was freelance. And now obviously because of, you know, uh, COVID, but yeah. Um, yeah, she's, she's also has my back a lot of times throughout the agency and she's an advocate to make sure that like I'm happy. So mm. it is definitely important to like have those people, whether it's in your workplace or like just outside of that to make sure you're, happy and you're doing what you want to keep you sane. Sometimes they tell you things you want to hear, but you got to hear that too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Can't just be all fairy dust and happy giggles. Yeah, so. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I get it. That's awesome though, especially having someone on the inside like that, that has your back, um, especially at like that level is, is awesome because yeah. it's, it's rough. I mean, yeah, I've, I've worked at some agencies before and you're the pressure and the level of work that's expected can be really daunting. So yeah, yeah, the stress level. That's why it's hard too. Is like you know, if I didn't, that's why it's hard to kind of like minus the pandemic, but it, it is hard to leave because like it is hard to find a good team mm-hmm. in, in like 
the agency world that I'm in because the agencies are really small generally and there's not that many and they're very competitive. And so like if you have a bad seat on your team and I work in like produ- post production, like production sides, so that's my department mm-hmm. and we have a great team. So mm-hmm. it's, you know, it's really hard to leave that, you know, so that's why I'm like, if I leave this company, I'm going to leave the industry, you know what I mean? And just mm. do something else. Cause like, I'm probably not going to find a, another great team like this to work with where we all get along. We're all have each other's backs. We all make sure we're all working long hours. If one of us is working long hours, right. you know, so yeah, you're right. That is very hard to find. So I'm, I'm grateful that I found that at least. Yeah, no, absolutely. So you kind of touched on this already, but obviously, you know, COVID-19 affected everyone in some kind of way. Uh, but really what was like the thing that kind of kept you going through this, you know, pandemic out of 2020 and into 2021? Yeah. I mean, I think that was obviously like a huge factor was like that fact that I, I got this full-time job the week that everything shut down. Um, I initially took the full-time job because I was always one to just, I I had a great roster roster of uh, clients Mm -hmm. freelance before. So there was no reason for me to, you know, to not be freelance because I enjoy that lifestyle. But, um, I really wanted to buy a house. And Mm. the reason why the bank wouldn't approve me is because I didn't have a full-time job, although I made good money or, you know, I mean, not great money because California (laughs) is expensive, but I made decent (laughs) money. So I was like, all right, well, I'm just gonna, you know, quit freelancing for a few months or six months just to get a loan, to get a house. And then obviously the pandemic happened. And luckily, like I said, I had, I got the job and I'm like, well, you know, it didn't really keep me going like, but it did financially. So I kind of ended up here because of some weird karma or something. I'm not sure, but something told me to quit that like a month before and take this job. And whether it was a selfish move because I wanted to buy a house, it kind of, you know, thankfully kept me afloat because yeah, I mean, you know, I'm very fortunate. I know a lot of people are out of work and I would have been one of those unfortunate people because my clients wouldn't have called me for sure because, you know, everyone was, you know, going bankrupt. So yeah, they weren't working. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, that's definitely obviously kept me through just in general, just having a job. So I think even though it's, you know, it's like, it's like a, catch 22 it's like oh i like i work a lot and i'm like exhausted a lot of the time and drained but you know i have a job and i'm not complaining so that kind of moved me and then you know my partner i'm I'm with you know he lost he's a dancer he lost his job Mm -hmm. obviously he was traveling he can do that so i think just like because we because i know we're all going through this together i know it sucks like on a personal level but like when you just kind of pull back and reflect it's like well everything's not as bad as we think it is because we're all not doing so great mm. <laughs> you know and whether it's financially or just like personally or right. your, your health it's just like we're all kind of in this weird spot so i think that's the only thing that pulled me through which is this might sound bleak but it's like we're all we're all fucked for the this year we're all fucked last year so it's right. like well i'm gonna get through it because we're all fucked it's not just me it's like yeah don't need to feel bad for myself we're all fucked <laughs> yeah exactly if you can make it through it and you can have hope to get to the next year which is this year it's kind of like yeah, yeah we made it through it together you know we're all exactly. in this together so absolutely <laughs> so <laughs> so kind of looking to the future you know maybe say like the next year three years five years from now uh what are some kind of goals that you have set for yourself um And yeah, kind of how do you, how do you see your future looking? I see my future probably not living in California, which I Mm. I hate to say because I love it here, but the taxes are too high (laughs) and I want to like, you know, buy a place Mm -hmm. and I don't want to buy a place just to like buy a house and like live 
like whatever it's because i want to do other stuff and like i don't i've lived in an apartment my entire adult life with like a small apartment and so like i want to be able to afford a place and freelance to where like i can freelance but not have to freelance and work every single day of the month and still like barely you know afford things so i want to be able to you know i don't want to retouch probably forever to be honest like like i've alluded to you know um but i want to be able to live somewhere that i can work a few days a month or a few days a week and that's enough to pay a mortgage Mm -hmm. and if not at least i'll be paying rent in a bigger place so i want the bigger place so that i can do more art like tangible art like i'm saying and within three to five years hopefully I can make a living off of like the art that I'm making versus Mm -hmm. like digitally. So my ultimate goal in three to five years is probably to transition away from agency life or into freelance life again, into not working in this industry, which is, I never thought I'd say, but um, Hmm. yeah, I kind of see myself exiting this industry. And I know it's like a weird thing to say because I know a lot of people would be very happy where I am. Um, Right. Like, not even financially because I'm not making that much money. It's just like, just like career wise, I know it's a great goal for a lot of people to, to work on campaigns and stuff. But like I said, after a while you kind of get exhausted and I know a lot of people just stay because of money or they have job security, but I'm blessed to not have children and I can make that decision for myself. So (laughs) I should do that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, for sure. No, I I mean, you make valid points though, because I think that your happiness and your sense of like self are more really important than just having a job that is like successful or money based or whatever. So I think that, yeah, your own, your health and safety and your own mental stability is, is really crucial. So yeah. Um, where would you move if you were to leave, uh, California? Like, have you thought of a state that you want to go to? Um, yeah, I mean, it's also like kind of a, the project manager and me coming out and doing mm-hmm. like a lot of research and it's probably like some state that would benefit me better tax wise, okay. uh, either if I was freelancing or, or full time, which would probably be Arizona, Nevada mm-hmm. or Texas. Right. Um, you know, I said in the beginning, I'm from Colorado. I don't want to move to snow, but <laughs> you know, as we are getting older, it's like, maybe I should eventually maybe move back to be with my family, but, mm-hmm. but that's still like, maybe hopefully like you know, 20, 30 years away, yeah, but yeah. yeah, for, for now that might be, or, uh, you know, our friend, mutual friend of ours, again, Ron, he moved to Palm Springs mm-hmm. and I, I'm not opposed to the idea. Yeah. I, it's really hot. It is way more affordable. Yes. But again, the freaking taxes. I don't know. We'll see. We'll, yeah. It depends on how the tax situation goes in the next few months. <laughs> yeah. I feel you. I feel you. So kind of, if you were to like give yourself a message into the future, like let's say 15 years from now, kind of what would you tell your future self almost as like a time capsule now to then, if you were able to look back? Why didn't you quit? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, oh, that was a question. Okay. Um, uh, Okay. If I was okay to my future self, um, that's hysterical. Okay. I'm glad you were able to seek personal health and happiness over money and career ambition. Mm. Yeah. I would tell that I'm happy you did that because I hope when I'm 45 that I have transitioned out of here or at least transitioned into a better situation for like my mental health and my, my, my creative expression. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. That's great. Have you ever thought, I mean, because of your, you know, what you're kind of talking about, have you ever thought of opening your own company and like having people work for you that way, you know, like you said, you wouldn't necessarily have to 
work like every single day, right? But rather having the the people in place to be able to run your agency for you. And ultimately you'd be like the boss and manager or owner of the company. But has that ever kind of crossed your mind? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because I definitely know enough and have a network of people to where I could probably do something like that. But I just think in general, if I were to start my own company, um, it would probably be something else. Right. Um, just because I don't know, like I literally have ADD. <laughs> like I have a psychologist, <laughs> like a, I, I, I have a therapist, I have ADD. Um, and I think my mindset is a little more entrepreneurial. Like I said, like I'm kind of interested in the project management aspect and mm-hmm. you know, like I started the wedding company when we were young, like 22 right. or something. Right. I started a wedding photography company for you listeners, uh, gay wedding photography right before like gay marriage got legalized. Mm-hmm. And you know, I did enjoy that process, but I got bored. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so like, like that was only like a year or two. And like, I've been doing this for so long. I, I still can't believe that I'm still doing this. And it's mm-hmm. like, you know, it's like, um, yeah, I just, I feel like it's not like ADD, but it's like, I constantly need to be stimulated and mm. learning. And so, like I said, like, I know a lot of people would be happy to be here, but I'm not really learning my craft. Right. I am to some extent, obviously I'm still doing new stuff that mm-hmm. I haven't done, but in general, I prefer working somewhere or like on myself where I'm learning something. And so I've been able to kind of supplement that with the Google learning. And like, now I'm doing a lot of craft stuff and Mm -hmm. like, I think that's like where I'm at. So it's really important for me to like continue learning like through your work, you know? Yeah. And so like entrepreneurial, sorry, circle back to the main question. I have thought about starting my own company. Um, and that would be obviously its own venture, but if I do, I would want to start a company and learn something new basically, you know? Yeah, no, that's great. Yeah, I never understood. I didn't know that's why you stopped your photography company because I remember we went to to <laughs> Boston and yeah, we that was so much fun and you made such beautiful portraits of these, you know, LGBTQIA plus folks for their, you know, wedding or engagement and everything. And then it was just like done. Like she was like, hey, we out. And I was like, Wait, what? Why? Yeah, what like, happened? Bye. Yeah. No, I just like, yeah, I got so bored. And it's crazy because it could have probably been a million dollar company, honestly. Absolutely. I mean, we were we were some of the first people to do that stuff. And we yeah. were working with, I think, the gay wedding planner at the time. She's mm-hmm. probably like the biggest one in the country at this point. But mm-hmm. um yeah, I just I got bored for sure. I don't know why. Um I get <laughs> I just have ADD. I just like I get bored. And I was I mean I actually was learning. I don't remember like the exact moment, but I do there was a moment where I'm like and eh, this is not really from actually, you know why? Because Prop 8 hadn't passed yet in California or federally. Right. And I realized like how exhausting it was going to be to like travel to Boston, which was like the only place it was legal at the time, gay right. marriage. Right. Or like we, I was contracting photographers out. That's and, right. I forgot about yeah. that. Yeah. And it's funny because that's like a project manager's job. Yes. You know? But wow. I was contracting them out, Foresight. managing that. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, I was like, wow, this is really exhausting. So I was like, maybe I'll pick it back up when it legalizes federally. And that took another like four years. So, you Mm. know what I mean? So I just kind of like let that slide by. But yeah, that that would have been I should have honestly kept that up. At least I would have been moving around a little more. (laughs) Yeah. Well, no, I mean, it's funny because I do feel like so often a lot of the stuff that you've done, you've always kind of been at the forefront and kind of done trailblazing things. You know, like I said, you were the first person that ever introduced me to Instagram and like other social media platforms before they became what they are now. So it's interesting. I think that, um, 
yeah, you gotta gotta figure out your ADD, man. That's right, you gotta yeah. gotta not get bored. I know. <laughs> you know what's funny too is when we moved downtown in 2008. I remember reading a small, actually made it in the cover of Wired magazine, mm-hmm. and the full story was about Twitter. 2008 and i signed up and i tried to get everyone to sign up yes and nobody signed up you're the reason i freaking still have twitter because i signed up and i was like what the fuck is this shit exactly and nobody would tweet with me so i stopped (laughs) and i'm like at this point i could have been like the top two percent of users but like i dropped out because nobody did it you remember when that happened you used to have to text your text you used to have to text your tweet to the company and they would tweet it like yes that's crazy to think about but yeah that's yeah, you're right. It's like I have ADD and I'm ahead of the curve. But like as, as soon as like pop culture doesn't catch on, I'm like, OK, bye. Like I'm bored. But yeah, but like I said, I've been trading crypto for the past like five years. So mm-hmm. I, I haven't you've held out had ADD with that, which is great because I've made a good amount of money on that. So that's another by a three to five year goal is to like if I don't transition into freelance, I'm going to retire with my crypto money. Hopefully. That's great. That's great. Yeah, well, that's awesome. Yeah. Amazing. Well, yeah, you I- should do an NFT podcast speaking of because it's like crypto and it's art crossing over you should find somebody in the nft space that'd be a really good interesting interview yeah no i'm really intrigued by that whole thing i yeah the new york times did an article about yeah their whole like one of the guys turning his art his own work into an nft and how it like got made like 500 like it was like over a million dollars for this nft and i was like blown away yeah Yeah. crazy yeah i just interviewed some crypto nft people that'd be cool yeah i'll have to i'll have to start googling and and getting into (laughs) it i know a lot of people that are in the crypto uh, currency world and they they really enjoy it so that's awesome the concept of this whole podcast obviously was born out of covid but specifically the idea of like the lotus flower i don't know if you know this but like it it is bloom or it grows in a muddy swamp and then like through photosynthesis it takes that mud and the gunk and it actually flowers as well as seeds at the same time and so in like in buddhist terminology we call that like the simultaneity of cause and effect like for every cause you're making instant effect is registered and so Mm. like for everyone's life i consider like the mud and all the crap below is actually the um like your struggle, right? And then like your success or your your growth is actually like this flower that kind of ultimately comes out of those struggles. So yeah, I'm just kind of, you know, curious if what what is your kind of uh, take on that for your own life? Kind of what has been your mud? <laughs> yeah, I think that's right. What's your mud? What's your fertilizer? Yeah, I think... I think like, you know, within different chapters of my life, it was all different. Like in the very beginning, it was my broken foot because I was doing really well for myself. So like I had to really overcome that. And once I did that, that happened. And then, um, you know, getting the job, the internship, like the mud was like not knowing what I was doing, you know, Mm. and so I had to kind of like overcome that. Um, And then freelancing, although it was like amazing, I made great networks, the mud was probably like, yeah, it's like kind of scary to freelance because you don't really know where your next paycheck's coming from. So that's the mud for sure. But like, you know, eventually I built up enough clients where like I would consistently have work. So the mud in the beginning was definitely not having work. Um, and then I'd, I'd say like in the latest chapter is the mud is kind of over being overworked for mm. sure. And I think the flower that's hopefully going to bloom from that is like a little more creative a, a new creative process that I've never done before that's tangible that, you know, can really nurture that flower versus literally sticking in the mud. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's great. That's awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Um, well, cool. Any last words or thoughts uh, from you? 
Um, no, I think I word vomited a lot for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I have pot mouth. I didn't smoke. It's just from talking. <laughs> <laughs> it's all good. That's hysterical. Awesome. Well, if people want to find you uh, on social media or on your Twitter, which you probably don't use anymore, um, but if they want to find you on social media or follow kind of what your what your goings on are, where they, can they follow you? Um, well, it is sad to say I don't post a lot of art. I don't know why anymore. I used to on Behance, but, um, if you follow me on Instagram, it's mostly my cats and mm. plants, which is also fun to look at sometimes, but it's yes. Joseph two underscores Alexander. Um, you could check out my personal website at inertia digital.com. Mm-hmm. I N E R T I A digital.com. Um, and you might find some of the clients that I've had, maybe not. I'm not sure I've updated a while, but you'll see the kind of the caliber of work that I'm working on at least maybe four years ago. <laughs> Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Joseph, for uh, joining and talking with us about your creative field. And I look forward to seeing kind of where you go and what happens in the next uh, couple years. Cause I know a lot's going to change sounds like, so that's exciting. Yeah, you too. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Wow, that was so much fun talking with Joseph Alexander about his industry and catching up. This week's Buddhist quote of the day is, ultimately, we are responsible for our own destiny. It may seem to us that our fate is predetermined, whether by our genes or by our environment. What really matters, however, is how we can improve ourselves from this moment forward, how we can change the circumstances that we find ourselves in. This enormous transformative force is what Buddhism is all about. In this struggle lies the source of never-ending youth and vitality by Daisaku Ikeda. Hey, Creative Lotus fam. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. If you're listening on Anchor.fm, you're actually able to leave me a voice memo in the messages section, and I'd love to hear what you have to say. Please leave a message, and I can add it to an upcoming episode and getting your point of view on the Creative Lotus pod. Thank you so much, and I look forward to hearing what you have to say. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of the Creative Lotus Podcast. I'm your host, Alan Zaki. Please go ahead and subscribe, rate us, and write a review. And follow me at Alan Zaki on social media. I look forward to having more amazing creative dialogues on the next episode.